ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೋಘುನಕ್ತು ಸಹವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಹೈ ಸೀಕಿಂಗ್ 
discovering or experiencing happiness within oneself. This is what Vedanta says. Therefore, all we need to do is to just change or undo this extrovert tendency of the mind so that it doesn't run anymore outside of itself, that it remains with itself. And thus, then, if one does that, then one discovers happiness which is within oneself. And ultimately, so first of all the happiness comes because of an inner tranquility. But ultimately that culminates into happiness which is akshayam, which is the limitless happiness. So the beginning, what we mean by antahaka shuddhi, so what we mean by being detached from the, the sense pleasures is freedom from likes and dislikes is what we call the inner purification. So as my mind becomes, discovers or gains that purity, to that extent the mind also discovers an inner, inner joy. Because as you said, mind is that which reflects the self. And as the mind, so the reflection. If the mind is distorted, the reflection of self also is distorted. If the mind is pure, then the reflection also is pure. So just as a mirror, when it is clean, as it is clean, I see my reflection more and more clearly. And so also, as the mind becomes purer, I discover the happiness of the self being reflected more and more. And therefore, even what we call Shuddhantahkaranam, or a clean or a pure mind itself, discovers happiness of the purity. And ultimately, that culminates into knowledge that I am Brahma, the happiness I am. Sukham Akshayam everyone gains what we call the imperishable or eternal happiness, which is the nature of oneself. But how do we do that? How do we release our mind from the tremendous attraction the mind has? Mind has a tremendous attraction for the sense pleasures. How do we release the mind from that? So, as we saw in, in Vivekaswaramani also, dosha darshanam, seeing the dosha, seeing the defect that is involved in sense pleasure. And that's what Lord Krishna says in the next verse, verse 21. Yehi samsparsha ja bhogaha Yehi samsparsha ja bhogaha Dukhayonaya evate Dukhayonaya evate Adyantavantah kaunteya Adyantavantah kaunteya Nate shuramate budhaha Nate shuramate budhaha Yehi samsparsajaha bhogaha. Bhogaha, the enjoyment, so the pleasure. Samsparsajaha, born of contact, born of sparsha, means contact. So born of contact between the sense organs and sense objects. So pleasure, for enjoyments that are born of the contact with sense organs with desirable sense objects. In our experience, that whenever my ear has a contact with pleasant music, then there is joy. My eyes have contact with beautiful form or color, there is joy. My palate has contact with delicious taste, there is joy. So this joy or the pleasure resulting from the contact of the sense organ with the respective desirable sense object, that pleasure, that is the pleasure that Lord Krishna is talking about. It is this pleasure that my mind is seeking. It is the only pleasure it knows and therefore habitually it seeks the pleasure Really, I mean, arising from the contact with sense objects. What does Lord Krishna say about that pleasure? Dukkha yona evade are nothing but sources of pain. 
So what feels like pleasure or happiness is in fact nothing but source of pain. Secondly, Adyantavantah Kaundaya. Also they have an Adi as well as Anta. They have the beginning and the end. Nateshuramate Buddha. Hey Kaundaya, O son of Kundi, Buddha, the wise or a discriminating person, Teshunaramate, a discriminating person never revels in them. So, to discover this fact, which of course we discussed earlier, as to how the pleasure resulting from the contact with the sense organ, with the sense object, is in, it involves pain at all stages. There is pain, as we said, before obtaining the end. First of all, I can get the pleasure only when I have a desirable object. And therefore there is a desire that I want that particular object so that I can enjoy it. In that desire itself, the desire itself shows a certain amount of discomfort and then also it requires an effort to procure that object, so that also involves an exertion of pain. And then, let us say that I got the object, then I am enjoying it. Even when I am enjoying the pleasure of that object, whatever it is, whether it is object of sense, even when I am enjoying that pleasure still, as you say, there is always a little apprehension in my mind that this could be better. This coffee is good, but not quite what it was the last time when I came to your place. You know the kind of coffee you serve me? This is not quite like that. This dosa is very good, but not like the ones that we get in Madras, you know. And whatever, so even when we are enjoying a certain thing, there is always a sense of sort of inadequacy or, or certain amount of dissatisfaction goes with it. Also, while enjoying the pleasure, there is in my mind an awareness that this is going to come to an end. Because even though I love pizza, how many slices can I eat? I love, I mean, they declared, the Swamiji, tonight there is going to be pizza. That's all. Then I start expecting. From that moment itself, my mouth is watering the pizza, 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 that's all. And then comes the evening and the pizza is served me and it's wonderful. And assuming that the pizza turned out to be the way I like it to be, which is also not, it doesn't always happen. Hey, from which, where does it come from? From a given shop? Not that shop, you know. But anyway, assuming that the pizza is what I like, then also I eat one slice, two slices. That's about all. So I know how long is this pleasure going to last. My capacity to gain that pleasure from a sense object itself is limited. For an object to give me pleasure, number one, that object must be desirable, something that meets with my specifications. Number two, it must be that I must have the capacity to enjoy it also, because even though if the pizza may be good, if I have stomach problem, oh, but I say, Uncle, you are not eating pizza. Swami, I have allergy for cheese. Something like that. Then if I don't have the capacity to enjoy or eat it, even though it may be desirable thing, I can't enjoy it. And, and thirdly, even though I may be hungry, even though the pizza is good, but suppose I am not in mood, if my mind is not available, again I cannot enjoy it. So even to enjoy an object and get pleasure from it is not easy, it doesn't always work out. That's the reason why next time when they bring, so this time I ate three sizes of pizza and so she feels that I love pizza, next time she brings it, I am not in a mood, I don't want it. Therefore, number one, it's most unpredictable and so uh, even that moment of unpredictable happiness, whether it will arise or not, arises for a period of time, for, uh, for a few moments or for a short time, and then I find that I have enough of it, I can't eat anymore, 
and then there is a separation from the desired object so that separation also gives me pain so thus when we look at the thing usually we don't stop to think about all these things you see when I, my when my mind is fascinated with something all that i can think of are the benefits to be gained from that or i can only see one aspect of it but that time my mind never ever look takes into account all the price that i have to pay for that all the cost that it incurs so lord krishna says take that also into account this called dosha drishti whatever dosha or whatever defect is involved in that experience mate may you take that also into account somebody says swami i don't care even if i get pleasure for a moment that's okay what's wrong with it who knows about the pleasure of the self i don't get it and therefore at least a momentary pleasure that comes from the objects of the world that's fine all i need to do is to surround myself with a number of these objects and all right a few minutes from this a few minutes from that a few minutes from this and it'll be okay so then the next question is even that few minutes or few moments of pleasure that comes from a sense object does it come from there so in second line lord krishna says adyantavantah this pleasure so this, this you know yeah this pleasures are adyantavantah they have a beginning and they have an end so what everything has a beginning and end but then technically uh, the vedantic teachers explain that that which is not in the beginning and that which is not in the end for example the happiness that comes by enjoying a certain thing is not there before its contact and it is not there when that pleasure is over so it's not in the beginning not in the end so rule is that what is not in the beginning and what is not in the end is not in the middle also adavante jayannasti vartamane bi tattata tattasa that which is not in the adi in the beginning ante in the end is not in the beginning in the middle also because vedantins always give a convenient example to show this they say like this man does not have a son devadatta does not have a son in the dream then he he dreams of a son in the dream devadatta becomes possessed of a son so what is the status of that son it was not there before dream that is before he went to sleep it is not that when he wakes up also so in the middle that is in the dream when he sees the son it is not really there that's all it swami that's about dream but what about the waking state that when i when i when i when i eat something i enjoy it when i listen to music i enjoy it how can you deny that we don't deny that that you enjoy a moment question is where does that enjoyment come from does it come from music does it come from the object where does it come from so when i have an experience of happiness or pleasure then of course three things are involved the object of experience is there my mind with which i gain the experience is there and i also is there the experience and therefore the pleasure could have come from any one of these three so maybe the pleasure i thought that is coming from a given object maybe it is not coming from there some happiness does come but i it is not it's not coming from where i think it is coming and so again the vedantic teachers will say that even when it feels as though the happiness or pleasure is coming from the object it is not coming from there it is coming from your own self how because when i feel happy at that time my mind mind enjoys a disposition which we can call a little tranquil disposition therefore it reflects the happiness of the self 
Because you know very well that happiness is a state of mind. It's a subjective experience. And object merely facilitates. Object merely facilitates the creation of that, that disposition of mind, which is what I call happiness. If object had the happiness, it should consistently give me. Every time I enjoy that I mean object, then I should get the same happiness consistently, which does not happen. That shows that perhaps it is a wrong conclusion on my part that happiness comes from there. In fact, a happiness is a given state of mind. To the extent that the mind becomes tranquil, to the extent that the mind becomes pure or placid, to that extent I experience happiness. So we have what we call the intensity of happiness also. It is not that a given thing gives the same amount of happiness all the time. The intensity of happiness it gives also varies depending upon how clear my mind becomes. So somebody was arguing with me, Swamiji, I will... Um, moksha, I do not know when it will come. But at least this much I have. So at least I, 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 will, I will have lots of objects and I can get happiness from that. I said, no, you don't get from there. It is by chance. And what creates that chance? I said, whenever you experience a moment of happiness, really, it is due to karma. What karma? Punya karma. It is due to some punya karma, some virtuous deed that you have done in the past, which rectifies at this moment and creates the condition in the mind so that the mind enjoys happiness. And the next moment, suppose that that moment a karma, punya karma does not fructify, the same object fails to give you happiness. So what is consistent is, whenever there is an experience of happiness, there is a certain frame of mind, and that frame of mind is because of the punya karma, where the external object just becomes an in- instrumental, it just facilitates. What gives me happiness is punya karma and not an object. I said, if you want to be happy, if you don't care for happiness of self, you want even material happiness, don't run after the matter. At least do what we call virtuous deeds, punya karma. But even a step further, that even mind also reflects the happiness of self, and therefore the source of happiness is one, namely my own self. In fact, you know how the mind becomes that placid. Because before I experienced that object, my mind was wanting a desire, pizza, pizza, pizza. And so there is some kind of a craving in there. And pizza comes, my mind becomes free from the craving. That is it. The joy that I am experiencing is the, the relief or the relief of the burden from the craving that my mind experiences. It is that, it is really the chandivrutti. Or it is really the, the removal of the desire. That's what makes my mind quiet or tranquil and that is what we call the state of happiness. So Lord Krishna wants us to analyze this experience of happiness. And of course, every time we listen to Vedanta, this is what they keep telling us. There is no happiness out there. It's all mitya. But then when we analyze, then we understand that, that happiness cannot come from an inner thing. Happiness has to come from something that is conscious. And there is only one thing that is conscious and that is myself. And therefore, that alone is the source of happiness. So, nateshu ramate buddha, a buddha meaning a buddhiman, a viveki, or a discriminating person never revels in this sense pleasures. Knowing fully well the mechanism of how the happiness or, you know, the pleasure arises. <coughs> and of course, Yoga Shastra talks about a lot of things. 
Yoga Shastra even says, Patanjala Sutras, that what the ordinary people or non-discriminating people call happiness is really nothing, is unhappiness. Because Parinama, Tapa, Samskara, so many things are there. It's all right when you enjoy what we call a, a, a sense pleasure. When that pleasure enjoyment is over, what does it do? It leaves in my mind a certain impression, either of happiness or unhappiness. Happiness creates what we call raga or attachment. An experience of unhappiness creates dvesha or aversion. And so every experience creates either attachment or aversion, which creates the ground for further craving, which creates further attachment and aversion. In this manner, all experience of sense pleasures we will find invariably create and a samskara or an impression of either raga or dvesha to some extent. And then as we said also that there is pain involved in acquiring an object, pain involved in separation from the object and pain involved even in preserving the object. Every time that pain also is involved, that is also there. And all these accumulation of likes and dislikes create more desires in me, make me perform more actions and more karma phala or results of actions and that perpetuates the cycle of birth and death. This is how the whole pravritti, the whole activity of a human being seeking sense gratification is a very painful activity. Not only that, but it takes him down the ladder of evolution. <coughs> Lord Krishna says one should become free from that. In the earlier verse we were told to the extent that the mind becomes free from its cravings from the sense pleasures, to that extent the mind becomes abiding in itself, and to that extent it discovers the happiness of the self. Now how do we make our mind free from the craving? The method is told here, that may you examine the nature of the pleasures coming from the sense objects, those sadarsanam, see the defects involved in that, and educate the mind, and this, it's, as we say, I've been saying all these days, that mind is just super, superimposes happiness there, and then it enjoys it. So release the mind from its habit of superimposing happiness on the sense objects, where it is not, and thus release the mind from the fascination of the sense of the whole of the sense objects. Because a person who leads a life of just sense pleasure becomes a pitiable person, really, ultimately. Because I say, Bhartavari said, Trishna jirna vayameva jirna, bhogana bhukta vayameva bhukta Trishnana jirna, vayameva jirna. In the old age he says that I thought that all along my life I was enjoying pleasures or objects. I now realize that objects are enjoying me. They have enjoyed me. In as much as I only became addicted to them, I became dependent upon them. In the beginning they gave me a certain kick. Later on I found that I was truly addicted to them. I became dependent upon them. I could not do without them. And then that is how the sense, this whole path of seeking sense gratification is a path of slowly and slowly depending, so depending upon them. Or giving up slowly and slowly, I mean uh, being deprived of my freedom, becoming more and more dependent upon them, being controlled by them. And what happens is that as the age, as the old age comes, you know, the body becomes weaker and weaker. Its capacity to enjoy the pleasures becomes less and less, where the craving becomes stronger and stronger. My craving has not become weaker. I have become very weak. My craving has become stronger. And thus one has to examine these things and then uh, make the mind see all of this. 
It's not that you have to make believe these things, but these are the facts of life. And again and again, dosha dushtya, muhur muhu, by doing it once it doesn't work. Because the mind has such a strong fascination that just one exercise doesn't work. Muhur muhu. Every time the mind is asking for sense gratification, make the mind see this. Every time you ask for it, make the mind see that. And thus, educate the mind. This is not controlling the mind. This is not suppressing the mind. It is the process of educating the mind. And that way, we can release the mind from its natural tendency of running after the sense pleasures. And thus, mind becomes more and more abiding in itself. <coughs> this is all right, Swamiji. Okay, we will do that. But Lord Krishna, but until that happens, until a time comes when my mind has become free from the craving, what should I do until then? Lord Krishna in the verse 23 tells us, until then what we should do, that is called Damaha. So in, in Viveka Chudamani we say Shamaha and Damaha. Shama is working with the mind, gaining mastery of the mind. As I said, recognizing the various patterns of thinking of the mind, analyzing them and slowly and slowly releasing the mind from those patterns. Most of these are just habitual patterns. Born of ignorance, ignorance of myself and ignorance of the world. And so these habitual patterns are born, I recognize them, release my mind by a process of education. But until then what? But my mind wants this, until then what? So comes Dhamma, self-control. And that's what Lord Krishna says in the verse 20, 23. <coughs> Shaknoti Haivayasodhum Prakshari Rabi Mokshanad Prakshari Rabi Mokshanad Kamakrodhod Bhavam Vedam Kamakrodhod Bhavam Vedam Sayukta Sasuki Naraha Sayukta Sasuki Naraha the one who Shaknoti Ehaiva Yahasodhum One who is able to Sodhum master the force or rather check the force. Sodhum means one is able to bear or check, keep under check. One is able to keep under check the force, Vegaha. Born of anger and desire, shak, so Kama Krodhodhavan. Kama means lust and Krodha means anger. So this lust and anger, whenever they arise in me, they create a Vega. They create a tremendous force and then make me do things. So usually a human being is controlled by this tremendous force that arises because of lust and anger. Both of these and even greed also. They create some kind of force to compel me to do something. So one who is able to keep under the check, that tremendous force that arises because of the lust, anger, greed, etc. So here Lord Krishna mentions karma and krodha, lust and anger. But we should also include that greed and all other, this kind of feelings. Kama krodho bhavamegam sayuktaha, he is a yogi. Sasukhi naraha, he is indeed a happy person. So Lord Krishna gives many definitions of yogi at different stages. Yogi is a different, but this is the first stage of yoga. What we call self-control, controlling one's own passions. So, 
first thing that we say is releasing the mind from the passions. Inasmuch as the passions of attachment and aversion are, have arisen from a non-understanding or a wrong understanding of things, and therefore through right understanding I release my mind from the passions of attachment and aversion. But until that happens, I control those passions. So here we are told, if anger arises at the general view of, let us say, psychology would be, that if the anger arises inside, you should express it. If this kind of force arises inside, you must express it. You should not contain it within yourself because it will create all kinds of uh, perversions. Which may be true. But still Lord Krishna says that you rather control it. So when control is done with what we call vivek or discrimination, then it okay. It works. If I control them without having value for controlling them, then it's a suppression. That there is an anger I have, but I'm controlling the anger because I'm helpless. I know that if I express my anger, then I'm going to be hurt. And then out of helplessness, I control the anger. That is suppression. If there is a strong desire or craving for something, and I suppress that desire because it's not proper for me to have that desire sometimes, or because I don't have resources to fulfill that desire, and therefore the desire is checked or suppressed. So when I control these forces against my wish, out of helplessness, then there is called suppression. But when I control them because I have value for controlling them, there is not suppression, it is called self-control. So Swamiji says about anger, because anger is one of the things mentioned here. And it bothers most of the people. How to, I mean, most of the satsang, this question is always asked, Swami, how to control anger? So one thing is, well, to do such a thing so anger does not arise, that's ideal, but anger having arisen, what should I do? I find myself totally under control of my anger. I find that when this lust or anger or greed, when they arise, I mean, they just, uh, they, they, they completely create a turbulence in my mind and I find that I'm not capable of even handling them. What should I do? Swamiji said that, first of all, uh, you must understand that anger is something that is damaging to you or detrimental to you. It's, it's damaging you. Every time the anger comes, it damages me. Every time I express the anger, it damages somebody else also. So anger is compared to fire. Wherever it arrives, it burns. And then fire, when it's thrown someplace, it burns there also. Sometimes people get so angry that they don't know what they are doing. And so an angry person once just took one burning charcoal piece and threw somewhere, but before that his whole hand was burnt. He just took a burning charcoal piece, was so angry, and hit somebody. That person may or may not be hit, but my hand is already burned. So anger arises in my mind, it burns me. And so if I feel, if I understand that, first of all, it is in my own interest to control the anger, to become free from the anger. Then only I will do something that is required to be done. Many people do not even think it necessary. They think, Swami, without anger you can't do anything, can't get anything done, nobody will listen to you. So many people believe. That's why if you don't get angry, Swami, they won't listen to you. Children won't listen to you. Your subordinates won't listen to you. People won't listen to you. And therefore we get angry. So, Therefore, some people consider anger as useful. If I consider anger as useful, certainly I will never become free from that. But anger is never useful and 
of course, an angry person is always the person who is manipulated by others. Because then people know, because they become predictable. Is these people who are, uh, who are so impulsive become very predictable by others. They, you, know, you know something? You see, he'll get angry now, you know. When I say this, he'll get angry. And that is how they can be manipulated. Or people will avoid making me angry on the face of me and then do whatever they want to do. And so anger, so controlling other people with anger or getting things done out of anger is never a, a right thing to do if this is what I understand. But Swamiji, what should I do? My children don't listen to me if I don't get angry. They won't listen to you even if you get angry, you know, if they don't want to listen. But anyway, it is not the anger that will impress the children. I said that if you want to, if you want that your children, I mean, children is just an example, anybody, that they should do what you want, then be firm. What is required is firmness. Be firm. That this is what you get, this is not. This is what you do, and you don't do this. Be firm. It is a firmness that will respect it, and not anger. And so, firmness is alright. That shows my conviction. I said that when you demand from somebody that they should do a given thing or not, they should do, they not do something. Try to make sure that that demand is in their interest rather than in your interest. Very often we make demands upon other people because it's convenient to us. If you make sure that the demand is for the well-being of them, then of course they will respect it also. So, the value for becoming free, or value number one of keeping under check these forces arising out of lust, anger, greed, etc. Lord Krishna calls him a yogi. So when we exercise Dhamma, self-control is a yogi. And that self-control comes because I have value. Knowing fully well that these things are damaging me. <coughs> As we said, anger always arises from some kind of a demand. And when my demand is not satisfied, then I get angry. It is true that I am a demanding person. I keep on demanding things upon others. What they should do, I have prescription of everybody else as to how they should conduct themselves. And why do I, why do I, why am I a demanding person? How come I, why should I bother about what somebody should do? That is because of my own need. Because of my own insecurities and my own need that I make demands upon others. And when those demands are not fulfilled, I get angry. And so, less demanding we become, less chances of anger. So demands, not merely desires, demands, need to control others. That's another problem that I have a need to control the people. That also so shows my insecurity. So we should understand the mechanism of what brings about these demands. That is my own need, my own insecurity brings that. I rather work with that insecurity rather than trying to avoid that. In See, what I'm doing is trying to avoid dealing with the problem. Anger is nothing but a way of avoiding dealing with the problem. Demand also is nothing but a way of avoiding dealing with the problem. And so, I'm trying to distract my attention from what requires attention and uh, I think that I've dealt with it. So, my insecurities, my needs, all of these need to be understood and that's how I become free from demand, that's how I become free from cravings and that is how I become free from anger, etc. <coughs> but until I become free, I must have value of keeping that vega, the force of lust or anger agreed under check and not come under their sway. 
How long should I do, Swami? Lord Krishna says, Prak Sharira Vimokshanat, until you die. Sharira release from the body. This one means until this body drops. So until I am alive, I should do that. Why until alive? Anantana Mittavan Hisaha Shankarajari says, because there are so many possible causes for lust and anger and greed. So, potentially they are there. All I need is for somebody to push that button, that's all. The idea is that the lust, anger, greed, all of these are potentially in there. And all I need is to push, somebody to push button. Like Swami says, this man comes to him and says, Swamiji, I have given up anger. He says, really? How can you give up anger? Yes, Swamiji. In last four months I have not been angry. Swami says, well, maybe somebody has not pushed some button, that's all. Otherwise I am sure you will get angry. He says, no, Swamiji. In last four months I have not got angry. But that's because any unpleasant thing has not happened to you. Maybe somebody has not pushed the button, that's all. That's why you are not angry. No, Swamiji, in last four months I have not become angry. Swami is very cool, he says, I think that the only reason is that that you have not come across somebody who just pre-pushed it hard. But Swami, I am telling you, you know. So all you need to do is to push the button, that's all. Therefore, Lord Krishna says, Prak, Sharira, Vimokshanat. Just don't take it for granted. This lust and anger and greed, one should not take it for granted that they have gone away. We wish that they have gone away. We don't want to insist that they are there. And I don't have to become, I don't have to become fearful. At the same time, I should be vigilant. So prak one should be vigilant in, in observing this and whenever I find anger is arising and I should be then vigilant enough to keep that, that vega or the force of the anger under check, force of the lust under check, force of the greed under check. <coughs> that makes me a yogi, a man, person of self-control and you see whenever I am able to check these things, it gives me, it makes me feel good about myself. Actually, whenever I act out of anger, it may be convenient at that time, as I said, anger is just a convenient short circuit, not a short, you know, shortcut, nothing else. But after I become angry, after I get subjected to anger or lust or greed, I don't feel happy about myself. I don't like to see myself an angry person. I don't like to see myself being controlled by anger, etc. And therefore, every time I'm able to keep under check my force of anger, I will have a sense of accomplishment. I will feel good about myself. That's how I will rise in my own self-esteem. So that is why life of self-control is wonderful. Not life of self-suppression. So when control is done without a value, without understanding or out of helplessness, there is suppression. But when it is done willingly, because I have value for it, because I know how beneficial it is. So with that understanding of maturity, when self-control is there, then as I said, it raises my self-worth, it raises, increases my willpower, and that is how I become more and more a disciplined and self-organized person. <coughs> so in these two verses, in this verse, Lord Krishna sees the need for controlling. So until the karma krodha has gone away, ultimately they will go away by, by educating the mind, making the mind see the fantasy of the need for desire. And when the desire is frustrated, then all the anger arises. So they say that karma is a basic, you know, is the original thing, you know, from which all other, uh, other vrittis arise.
So Kama, Krodha, Lobha, Moha, Madha, Matsarya, these are called the six inner enemies. The first enemy being Kama. Kama means either lust or strong desire. When that Kama or the desire is not fulfilled, when someone obstructs the fulfillment of desire, it itself gets converted into Krodha or anger. So what is Kama at one point or desire, itself becomes anger. But Swami, it's not that every time my desire is not fulfilled, my desires get fulfilled also. Fine. When desire gets fulfilled, you know what happens? It gets converted into lobha. Because when one desire gets fulfilled, then I want more of it. That's why they compare this desire and anger, etc. with, with fire. And fulfilling a desire is like pouring butter into the fire. And how when I pour butter into fire, fire becomes more intense. Similarly also, as his desires are fulfilled, they become more and more intense. A fulfilled desire gives rise to lobha or greed. An unfulfilled desire gives rise to krodha or anger. So kama or this craving either gives rise to anger or, or greed. And when either of the feelings comes, either I, when I become an angry person, or when I become a greedy person, then what happens? Moha, I become deluded. So when anger comes in my mind, my judgment is completely distorted. When my mind is under the spell of anger or greed, I can never say things right. What is dharma appears to be a dharma. What is right appears to be wrong and what is wrong appears to be right. And I wind up doing wrong thing because I think at that time that this is the right thing to do. And I may shoot somebody because I think that's the righteous thing to do. I'm protecting my country, I'm doing something, you know. And thus uh, people perform actions which are totally adharmic, but at that time they think this is dharma. So when anger or greed, anything takes over of my hold of my mind, there is what we call moha or delusion. Delusion means superimposing something which is not there. And I see this person deserves it. Even though the person may not, that's what I feel when I get angry. When I get greedy, then also same thing. And so, out of anger and greed, most of the papa or most of the corruption or most of the, yes, you know, uh, values are, are, um, are violated. All violence takes place out of karma, krodha and loba, lust, anger and greed. In fact, they are source of all the violence. Because person becomes mudha, becomes deluded and becomes violent. Moha, mother, and then when this delusion comes, mother, he becomes, mother means intoxicated, in pride. And matsarya, it also generates what we call jealousy. Because even if I get more and more I get, still I find people have more than I have, and that's how jealousy. So all of these, what we call inner enemies, which disrupt my mind, they are what we call the disruptive tendencies. All these disruptive tendencies have the source in karma in the desire or the lust. And therefore, they always talk about karma in this, in the Indian literature, Vedic literature. <coughs> so, these two verses were told for the seekers. The main topic that's going on here is, of course, the sannyasi, the wise man. In between, Lord Krishna also digresses a little bit or, or, or takes, the, uh, takes the opportunity to tell something which is useful to the seekers. And the verse 24, Lord Krishna comes back to the main topic of the of the wise person. Yontas Sukhantara Ramaha Yontas Sukhantara Ramaha Tathantar Jyotirevayaha Tathantar
ब्रह्मनिर्वाणम् ब्रह्मभूतो धिगच्छदे ब्रह्मभूतो धिगच्छदे सो यो यह अंतसुख है अंतसुख है वंस सुख और हैप्पीनेस कम्स फ्रॉम विद इन वन सेल्फ अंतराराम है वन रेवल्स इन वन सोन सेल्फ अंतर ज्योति ही वन उस माइंड इज अवेक टू वन सेल्फ वन हुइज लाइक दिस सो दिस अवर योगी और वाइस पर्सन इज डिस्क्राइब्ड अगेन लॉर्ड कृष्णा डिस्क्राइब्स द वाइस पर्सन इन डिफरेंट वेज here the wise person is described with a reference to his own inner state of mind antasukha one sukha or the fulfillment or happiness comes from within oneself and so not that so he doesn't have to depend upon sukha or happiness on sense objects any objects because he has discovered happiness from oneself antararamah so one kind of happiness that comes is by enjoying the pleasurable objects Another kind of happiness that comes by sport. So first in the dining hall, and that is the sukha that comes from the you know from the sense object. After that is over, then we have other things. You know, then we get together and then we have fun. That is the krida. So playing with other people, then you know. So that is another kind of happiness. So we depend upon sense objects for our happiness. We also depend upon the company and the sporting with other people for our happiness. Antararamaha. the one who sports with one's own self that means the happiness that an ordinary person gets by sense of pleasures he gets from within himself and the, the happiness that an ordinary person gets by play and sport with other people that also he gets it within himself antarjyotihi another thing is the third level of happiness is by gaining by knowing getting new and new information that also gives me a kick gives me uh, knowing new things intellectual happiness so that intellectual happiness also gaining our knowledge of outside thing also gives me certain happiness so antarjyotihi one whose mind is awake to oneself even that pleasure or happiness also comes from within oneself so this is how the wise person is one whose happiness comes from within oneself for the simple reason the self is of the nature of happiness if self is of the nature of happiness how come i don't seem to experience it because there are obstacles what are the obstacles to the happiness ignorance and all the misapprehensions or various complexes and you know projections born of that so they are the obstacles which create an extrovertness of my mind and so one who has through the process of knowledge removed the obstacles therefore the happiness is experienced effortlessly then also you can say antasukha once whose happiness comes from within oneself without any effort antararamah one who one who revels in oneself normally my mind revels in various things of objects of pleasure so ratihi or reveling so one there is another thing also one kind of happiness that comes from sense pleasures other kind of pleasure is come pleasure comes in thinking about the things that i love thinking about the dear things that's my mind revels and gets that kind of a gratification also that i think about my somebody whom i love some object that i like the new car that i'm going to get the new house i'm going to build and things like that so that is 
This person doesn't require to do that. He revels also in himself. And his mind is always awake to himself. So, that wise person. So, yogi. So, Lord Krishna is the word yogi here. Yogi and, and, and jnani, they are the same. So, sometimes Lord Krishna we use the word yogi. Sometimes we use the word jnani. Sometimes we use the word even bhakta. But in this context, yogi means the same thing. So, yogi, this wise person, Brahma Nirvanam, Brahma Bhutaha, Adhigachari. He is Brahma Bhutaha. He has become Brahman. Meaning he knows Brahman is the very self and he abides in the knowledge of Brahman being self. Therefore, you say he has become Brahman. Not that it has, we can say that the river has become ocean. So, when river merges into ocean, river becomes the ocean. Not that it becomes, but river recognizes itself the ocean. Ocean also means water, because the truth of the ocean is water, the truth of river also is water. As long as river was away from the ocean, so long it thought that it is separated from ocean. When it becomes one with the ocean, discovers its own nature as water and abides in that nature. Similarly also an ignorant person thinks that Brahman is different from me, the happiness is away from me. But with this knowledge, when the obstacles are removed, he discovers himself a Brahman. It's not that he has become Brahman, but that the ignorance created this notion that I am not Brahman, like the tenth man. So ignorance created the notion I am not the tenth man. The tenth man is lost. And when he was told, you are the tenth man, you can say, yes, I got it. Not that he has got the tenth man, who has become the tenth man, he always was. But still they say Brahma Bhutaha, one who has become Brahman, meaning that one who owns up one's true nature which is Brahman. Brahma Nirvanam Adhigachati. He gains Nirvanam, that's another interesting word. So, he gets Brahma Nirvanam. What is Nirvanam? Nirvana is a word that is used when the lamp is blown out. So when a lamp is, the flame is burning and a fuel gets burnt out, the lamp is blown out. That is called nirvana. So the lamp of unhappiness is burning. Lamp of pain is burning. As long as there is oil of that, unha- oil of ignorance, so long the lamp keeps on getting burning. And when oil of ignorance is, is, is exhausted in the wake of knowledge, then the lamp of unhappiness also gets blown out. You can call it nirvana. Or nirvana means nirvati. Nirvati means the total pleasure, total happiness. That means freedom from all kinds of suffering. Freedom, nirvana means freedom from all kinds of pain. Freedom from all kinds of suffering, that is it. Because pain can be a physical phenomenon and one doesn't become free from that. But all kinds of suffering, which is an emotional thing. So nirvana, one becomes free from every kind of an emotional suffering. So when Vedanta talks of samsara, samsara means suffering. Suffering means emotional suffering. As far as the pain at the level of physical body is concerned, I guess it is part of prarabdha. Something that one cannot avoid. Although the naturopaths will say that even that pain also is because of problems with the mind. That even suffering in the body also comes. But anyway, we would say that the suffering or the pain that comes at the level of body is due to prarabdha. But the suffering that comes at the emotional level, that I am sad, that I am depressed, that I am fearful, all of this is due to ignorance. That's not due to prarabdha, that is due to ignorance. All that suffering goes away in the wake of knowledge. So that state wherein a person is totally free from every anartha or every kind of suffering. At the same time, when one has attained the happiness or the fullness in its totality, 
It is called Nirvana. It is also called Moksha. So Moksha is these two elements. Atyantika Dukkhana Vrutti. Niridishaya Ananda Avapti. Atyantika Dukkhana Vrutti. An elimination of pain once and for all. And Niridishaya Sukha Avapti. Attainment of unsurpassable happiness. So elimination of pain once and for all. Because elimination of pain comes now and then to us also. As we said, even in the state of deep sleep, there is no pain. But then the once for all, I wake up, the pain comes back again. But here, elimination of pain once and for all, because cause of pain is ignorance. In the deep sleep state, the pain goes away, but the cause remains. That's why when I wake up, because of the cause of ignorance, the pain comes back. When cause goes away, the effect does not arise. And therefore, removing the pain along with this cause and the ignorance. So, Elimination of pain once and for all. And it is said, it is that pain that alone is obstacle to the manifestation of happiness of myself. So when the obstacle is gone, then happiness, the self, which is the nature of unsurpassable happiness, then also becomes evident or becomes manifest. So two things happen simultaneously. Elimination of pain and attainment of happiness. That's called nirvanam, that's called moksha. So brahma nirvanam. When he gains in Nirvana in Brahma, a total abidance in Brahma, Brahma Nirvana, Brahma Bhuta Hajikachari, having become Brahman, he gains in Nirvana or a total abidance in Brahman. <coughs> in the verse 25, Lord Krishna further describes this wise man. Labhante Brahma Nirvanam Labhante Brahma Nirvanam Rushaya Hakshina Kalmashaha Rushaya Hakshina Kalmashaha Chinnadvaidhayatatmanaha Chinnadvaidhayatatmanaha Sarva Bhuta Hiterataha Sarva Bhuta Hiterataha Labhante Brahma Nirvanam again, Lord Krishna uses the word Brahma Nirvanam again. So Nirvanam usually is a word that is always attributed to the, the Buddhist, but then Nirvanam is a word that is used also in the Vedic tradition. So Brahma Nirvanam meaning moksha liberation. Labhante Brahma Nirvanam, they gain this Nirvanam, they gain this moksha. Who are they? So the qualifications are stated here. These are, as we said, spontaneous or natural with reference to wise people and they become the values for the seeker. So you are told, Rushayaha, Kshina Kalmasaha, Chinnad Vedaha, Yatatmanaha, Sarva Bhuta Hiterataha. These five qualifications are stated here for these wise people, Labhante Brahma Nirvanam, who gain the Nirvanam or namely Moksha. So first of all, Kshina Kalmashaha. Those people whose Kalmasha, Kalmasha means this, the impurities. So those people in whom the impurities have exhausted away, have been destroyed, Kshina Kalmashaha. The first step. First step is to remove the impurities of the mind. And for that, the process of Karma Yoga, which we discussed in detail. Karma Yoga means performing the action as an offering to the Lord. Performing an action, 
not as motivated by fulfilling a like and dislike, but performing an action as motivated by doing something that is right. If my action originates from likes and dislikes, then it creates likes and dislikes as a result. If my action, on the other hand, originates from a sense of devotion or a sense of offering, then it strengthens that sense. So, Karma Yogi is the one who performs actions not to fulfill his or her likes and dislikes, but performs an action because it is duty, or performs an action because that action is to be performed as an offering to the Lord. Performs an action out of a sense of gratitude. Performs an action because he sees that it is, I am a part of the scheme of things, and it is my privilege and my duty to perform this action, to contribute into, to do my part, or my share in the scheme of things. So, as Karma Yogi is the one who performs an action out of a sense of gratitude, out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of offering to the Lord, and not out of what we call attachment and aversion. In, that, in this process, the attachments and aversions, they get exhausted because they are not supported. An action performed as motivated by attachment and aversion will create attachment and aversion and that will perpetuate. On the other hand, that is why Lord Krishna says, so do not perform action as prompted by Ragadvesha, Tayordavashama Gachet, don't come in the, in, the, in the control of Ragadvesha. Swadharma, perform the action as prompted by Dharma. Dharma means that which is right here. So, Kshinakalmashaha. First is, first process, Kshinakalmashaha. So, removal of impurities. Then what happens? They become yataya, they become rushaya. One becomes a rushi. So, rushi is the one who enjoys a pure mind. And what does that purity of the mind do? Rushaya, sukshvastu vivechana samasaha. As the mind becomes free from its hold of this attachment and aversions from this opposite pulse, as the mind discovers a certain poise or a tranquility, the mind also discovers an ability to understand subtle things. The scriptures are talking about things that are very subtle. Talk about the self, talk about God, talk about the realities of life, talk about Satya, talk about Mithya, talk about these things which require a mind, which requires a subtle mind. So the person becomes a Rushi. That means he becomes capable of understanding the subtle themes of the scriptures. Otherwise, one keeps on listening all right, but he is not able to grasp what the scriptures say because the mind is not ready to grasp them. And so, Rushaya, first of all, Kshina Kalmashaha, mind becomes free from impurity, and to the extent the mind has become free from impurity, to that extent, one gains the ability to grasp the subtle truths that are revealed by the scriptures, one becomes a rushi. And then what happens? Chinnadvaidhaha. As there is a pursuing the knowledge, sarvanam, mananam, niridhyasanam. Chinnadvaidhaha. All the dvidha, all the samshaya, all the, the doubts, they slowly and slowly get resolved. Whose doubts are resolved. So what happens? Yatatmanaha, they discover self-mastery. So it's also a process of discovering self-mastery. As the impurities are getting removed, as we discussed earlier, I discover a master, I gain a mastery over myself. The reason why I have a difficulty in mastering my mind or 
making my mind do what I want to do is because my mind is under the control of this these impurities, likes and dislikes. As the mind becomes free from the hold of impurities, it becomes composed, it becomes favorable to me, and thus I gain self-control. And the intellect also becomes favorable to me as its doubts are resolved by exposing to the teaching. And that's how one also gains greater and greater self-mastery. So one becomes a Swami in a real sense. Swami means a master. That's what Swami. It comes from the word Swa. Swa means one's own wealth or property. Swami means one is owner. That means one is a master. And so one gains, so have self-mastery. Yatatmanaha. And another qualification Lord Krishna says here, for these wise people, Sarvabhuta Hiterataha. Those people who are devoted to the welfare of all beings. It's really unusual for Vedanta, you know, to talk about all beings. But here, Lord Krishna says in more than one place in Gita. We feel that these people are just totally self-centered, have nothing to do with the world. But no, Sarvabhuta Hiterataha. Those who are rataha, devoted to Sarvabhuta Hita, devoted to the welfare or well-being of all the creatures. Of course, there is no way that you can, you can accomplish well-being of all the creatures. It's very difficult. It's impossible. Then what do you mean by devoted to well-being of all the creatures? Welfare of all the beings. At least that is the, that is the kind of a bhavana or that's the kind of a attitude or the spirit that they have. Sarve bhavantu sukhina. Let everybody be happy. So this kind of prayer that always arises from the heart, Sarve bhavantu sukhina. Let everybody be happy. Sarve santu niramayaha. Let everybody be healthy. It's just difficult for me to say everybody be happy. Not this fellow Swami. Not this chap. He's my enemy. He hates me. I don't want to see him happy. Sarve bhavantu sukhina. Including him, let everybody be happy. Sometimes I want some people to suffer. Sometimes I want that I think he deserves it. He, you know, he should get it. So as long as this kind of divisive tendencies are there, so long how can a person gain the knowledge of the truth that is indivisible? So again, it is my kama krodha, it is my anger and my, all of these are that, that create the division. That's why I wish ill of some people. But here it says, sarva bhuta rataha reveling or committed to the welfare of all the beings. If it cannot be done through our action, at least it can be done at the level of the attitude of the mind. In the action also, his actions also, whatever little actions they perform. So we are talking about renunciates here. At this point we are talking about those renunciates who have given up all their duties and therefore they do not participate that much in the transactions in the society. Perhaps they live in the Gurukulam with the teacher and therefore they have rather a limited contact with the world or limited interaction with the world. But still in that limited interaction, what is the spirit of the mind? The spirit of the mind is, let everybody be happy. Let everybody be healthy. Or may I become a means for the happiness of others. So one who looks upon oneself as a means of happy instrument for the happiness or welfare of others. Lavanti Brahma Nirvanam. So they are those who attain Brahma Nirvanam or gain the liberation. 
Thus, in these verses, Lord Krishna keeps on revealing this cry while in the process of describing the, the characters of wise people, also Lord Krishna describes what are the values that the seekers should cultivate so that they become the, they become wise ultimately. Okay, we will continue tomorrow. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Upunapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaham Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Namaha Hari Om